Listen, I want you to turn with me, if you would please, in the Word of God today. We're going to study Genesis chapter 4. Get your Bible out if you have sermon notes if you're here. If you don't have sermon notes, what you do is if you would take uh, and minimize and reach over and grab the PDF. There's a, if you minimize on your screen, there is a PDF option for notes. And you'll have the same notes that I have in front of me. And if you are here locally and you didn't get one, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. If you didn't get one, they'd be glad to bring one to you if you missed your notes, if you're here in the building. And I, again, thank you for being with us live. This is not tape. This is live. And I hope that you are ready. Get in the Word of God with me, please. Genesis chapter 4. Today we're going to continue our study talking about how you build a future. And one of the things that we've been talking about is everybody wants to have a future. Everybody's trying to find a way forward. They're trying to get to a place. And in life, if you're going to succeed, you need to have in your mind where you want to go. The question is, how do you get from here to there? How do you build a future? All of us are building a future. Everybody in here. Everybody that's home, everybody that's in this building is building something. The question is, what are you building? And how do you build the right kind of future? Well, there are several things you do, and in this year, I'm going to answer that question. How do you build a future? The first thing you've got to do is change the way you think. And this whole month, we've been talking about how to build the right mind. You've got to build a new way of thinking. Next month, we're going to talk about build a new approach. Because even if you learn what to think, if you don't change the way you approach your life, your marriage, your money, your finances, nothing will change. And so it's important that you understand you're a part of the building process. And so in our study for the, this past month, we've been answering four questions so far. There are four things we talked about in regards to how you think. There are five things that affect your thinking. And... I started in Genesis chapter 3, and the first thing we talked about was the questions you ask. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 were asked questions. The serpent came to them and said, is it true that if you do this, you, you were told that will happen? And he then said, it won't happen. And it was an incredible dialogue that Eve entered into that changed her values. So the questions you ask, the things you allow people to question in you that you know are right or wrong, but you meet new friends, you meet new people, and all of a sudden now you're questioning your values. That's a sign that your mind's going in the wrong direction. You must be clear about what you believe and not allow yourself to question the things you value. So the questions you ask, and then secondly, the changes you make. Sometimes when you allow people to question things in your life, you change. So the question is, have you changed? Have you allowed yourself to do things that you know you were raised not to do, say things you were raised not to say? You have attitudes that you've never had before. So the questions you ask, the changes you make, and then thirdly, the explanations you give. Last week we talked about how important it was when Adam and Eve talked to God for the first time after eating the forbidden fruit, they, they fell into the trap of excuses. And I differentiated between what an explanation is and what an excuse is. An explanation is when you say, hey, listen, I, I, I went in the refrigerator, I knocked over the food, it spilled in the refrigerator, you know, I'm sorry, that's what happened. My hand, I just didn't see it. An excuse is, well, I, it was dark and, 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 and somebody yelled and, and because they yelled, I knocked it over and, and that is not my fault. An excuse is passing the blame to somebody else. And last week I asked you to do something. I said, for one service, for 35 minutes when I talk to you, for these 35 minutes, I want you to please excuse everybody. Don't blame anybody. I want you to have an excuse-free zone. And I ask you just for, for, for one time in your life, don't blame your father, your mother, your cousin, or anybody else. Imagine it's all you. Just for, just for 35 minutes. Now, when you get back in the car, I said you can pick it back up and blame everybody in your life. 
But for a moment, it's not your wife's fault, not your husband's fault, it's nobody's fault, it's not your mama's fault, your daddy's fault, it's just you. And I want you to just analyze your life as if you are responsible for it. Because ultimately, that's what happens. You become responsible for your life outcome and your choices. And so I talked about the importance of you not doing what Adam and Eve did. You see, when God asked them, what happened? Who ate the fruit? They said, well, it's the woman you gave me. That's what Adam said. And then the woman said, it's the serpent you gave me. Not, not gave me, but the serpent. And the serpent said, there's nobody to blame but me. I'm just here by myself. And that, my friend, is how a lot of people live their life. All your life is about somebody else. If you meet somebody, you date somebody, the first thing you do is tell them, or your sad story about who did what to you and who hurt you and how bad your last boyfriend was or girlfriend was and how rotten your last wife was or whatever. And that's your story. That's how you present yourself to people. It's always with a grand list of explanations and excuses and more excuses than explanations. And I'm not saying there aren't things that happened to you. I'm not saying dis discounting the things that took place in your life. Those things were important. I'm not dis discounting them. But I asked you for just a few minutes to step away from that and own your life for just a minute. Now, having done that, let me turn to today's sermon. Today we talk about something that's really interesting to me. I call it an unchangeable mind. In Genesis chapter 4, we're going to study a guy who was rebellious. Because I believe rebellion that you hold on to are the fourth thing that can cause your mind to be in the wrong place. It's a sign that you're thinking wrong. Here's a question. Have you ever met anybody who never changed? And, and this story from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to verse 1 to verse 15, this guy does not change at all. Nothing you can say. So let, let's just start off understanding he's not going to change. Now, I don't know if you know anybody like that. I don't know if you've ever worked with people like that. You've been working with them for years, and they are still the same. Haven't changed, not going to change. How do you deal with people that don't change? They are unchangeable. Now, I'll juxtapose that this week against next week when I talk about changeable people. There are people who change. There are people who grow and learn and they get it. And I'm, I hope to be one of those people. I hope to be one of those people who has made mistakes, and I have made them, but I've changed. And I'm learning. And it comforts me. So whenever I feel bad about something I didn't do, I'll say, I'm working on it right now. I'm, right now, I'm changing. And I am. I am. I am I'm totally committed to doing what I know now to do. When it comes to my money, when it comes to my health, when it comes to all the areas of my life, I'm really, really trying. But I've learned that there are some people who will never change. And let me show you how they think. Let me give you an example. There are eight observations I made about Cain, and I call these eight observations about unchangeable people. So please understand, Cain is the highlight of this study. And Cain is going to show us eight things that are amazing to me about people who won't change. Number one, look at first, chapter 4, verse 1 of Genesis. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Cain is the firstborn. Amazing. Cain is the firstborn child of Adam and Eve. And listen to how excited they are. I have acquired a man from the Lord, they said. Oh, we got a boy. What a joy. They got a kid. They got a son. They're excited. And here's what happens. The Bible said, then she bore again. This time, his brother Abel. Now you got, a, you got a baby brother. You got two boys. Now, there are other kids born to them that are not mentioned. It's obvious because they eventually had wives to marry. So there are a lot of daughters and stuff, but the Bible didn't record all that. All it recorded for us was the first two births, Cain and Abel. This is an exciting moment, and I want you to notice now, this is important. They're different. They have different preferences. Abel 
was a keeper of the sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. Cain was a ground guy. He grew stuff. He was a garden guy. He grew greens, whatever. That's the guy who works in the field. His brother, his brother Abel, is the animal guy. You know, Dr. Doolittle kind of guy. He likes sheep. So you got two guys, two different preferences, two different, and that's okay. And, and I want you to be clear. That's okay. But people who are unchangeable have unchangeable preferences. What they like, they like, and they won't change. And that's the first thing I want you to notice. This guy has a specific gift and preference that he's not going to change for anybody. I only deal with stuff from the ground. I don't deal with sheep. I don't deal with anything like that. This is my preference, and I'm not changing. Even, listen to me, even if God asks me. Even if, I, even if you can convince me it's the right thing to do, it doesn't matter what you want from me. This is what I offer, period. There are no changes. And, you know, some people will kind of tell you that when you meet them. But let me tell you about me. This is how I am. And you go, okay. You start taking notes. I don't like this. I don't like that. And, and when you, you know, when you first meet people, you kind of go, okay, I, I think you're kind of just telling me what you like, but you understand I'm not like you. And hopefully you can like me being not like you. You don't, and you don't assume they're saying, no, this is how I am and how you must become. That's not how you interpret that. You just interpreted them telling you what they're like, which is nice. Okay. But you don't like to go out at night, but you don't mean you want me to never go out at night. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? Or you don't like to go travel, so that means when I marry you, I can't travel. You know, you just never put those two together. And so you see people sometimes... <laughs> And these relationships think this way. And I'm telling you, when I do premarital counseling, it's always amazing because they don't believe me. I'll say, here's one of, my, one of my favorite questions. I'll say, tell me, if you marry each other, what's the one thing that could cause you, or three things that could cause you to break up? And they always know what it is. They always tell me, oh, he's so sloppy, he's sloppy. He's just stuff everywhere. <laughs> She's so bossy, bossy, telling me what to do. And, and I just let them talk about it. And I said, well, have you worked it out? No, no, no. We just, you know, we just kind of working through it. And I said, well, what if they never change? Oh, they're going to change. I said, no, they're never going to change. If they never, ever change, if they're going to stay bossy and be bossy forever, if he's going to be sloppy forever, I mean, it's slobbery. Everything's everywhere. Can you love him and live through it? They always take a deep breath and say, hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, that's the wrong answer. You need to say, yes, I can live with sloppy all my life and be okay. If you can't say yes, don't do it. Don't do it because they're never going to change. In all, all of your marriage, you're going to be saying, pick up behind yourself. And you're going to be saying, we told you I was sloppy before you met me. What's the deal? If he doesn't work, if he doesn't believe in work, this is important. If he doesn't believe in working, you know, like going to a job, making money, bringing it home. And there are people who like that. Listen, listen, listen. There are people who like that. They really believe it's your job to provide for them. Now, I'm not against if you're a housewife and that's your call and you're working and you got this deal and everybody's, you know, okay and the family's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying when you enter into a relationship, a lot of times people don't know what they're getting and they're not honest about it. All I want you to do is be honest and tell the truth. That's my goal when I counsel people. I want you to be honest and tell the truth. This is a guy who's not going to change, ever. He has a preference, and that's it. Second thing I want you to notice, this is a guy who struggles when he's corrected. 
He doesn't like to be told he's wrong. <laughs> oh, boy, look at verse 3. It said, and in the process of time it came to pass, this is Genesis 4, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Notice, he's doing exactly what he was told. Firstborn of the flock, and he's supposed to bring all that to the Lord. And when he says of the fat, he says, bring something that's a healthy, healthy lamb. Fat was considered to be the prime. Bring your prime animal, sir, to offer as a sacrifice. Don't bring me your sloppy stuff. Then he says, and the Lord respected Abel. He loved Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain's offering. As a matter of fact, the Lord, Cain became angry because God didn't receive it. But I want you to notice this. This was talked about before they did the offering. Everybody knew. The family knew. They taught them. Cain, Adam, Eve, Abel, everybody knew. This is how you make an offering to God. How would they know what to do if you didn't tell them? But notice that Cain said, no, I'm not doing it that way. I choose, I don't, I don't, I, my preference is not to do it that way. And then when he was rejected and his offering wasn't received, he became angry. The scripture says in verse 5, he became angry and his countenance fell. He didn't like being corrected. Are you like that? You got to win every conversation. Every time you're listening, you're listening to correct. You know, you're kind of listening, but you want to get your point in. This is an unchangeable person who's not going to change his viewpoint ever. But he's trying to show everybody, I don't like being told what not to do. And so here we go. Here we go. He's angry. Everybody knows it. His countenance has fallen. And then he's, he has what I call, thirdly, unexplainable anger moments. He's so angry he can't talk. He's sulking. Listen to verse 6. The Lord tries to reach out to him. This is one of the most amazing conversations to me ever. It says, and the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Silence. No answer. <laughs> he never says anything. He doesn't even respond. You ever talk to people like that? You say, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I mean, not even a word. No, no response. Just, just no word. Just, 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 just pouting. Tight eyes. You know, and, and watch this now. And, and then he says a second question. Why has your countenance fallen? Silence. Not a word. <laughs> Not a word. Why are you okay? Look at him. Okay, okay. This is God talking to him. The Lord speaks to him and says, hey, can you tell me why you're angry? Well, okay, why are your face like that? Come on, why? Silence. This is amazing. Okay, we're, we're, we're talking to God and we have this attitude. Amazing. Amazing. Third question, he kind of says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you did what you're supposed to do, I would accept you too. I don't like Abel more than you. I just want you to do what I told you to do. Silence again, no comment, no words, just silence. Amazing moment. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. God continues the conversation. Even though he's not giving, getting any response, he says to him, this is all in verse uh, 7 now of, of Genesis 4, if you do not do well, maybe sin lies at the door. Maybe it's desirous for you, and, but you should rule over it. So there's two ways to interpret verse 7, two, two ways the scholars look at this. You ready? One, one goes like this. I find this first one fascinating. Where it says, if, 
if sin lies at the door, some translate the word sin offering. In other words, one of the possibilities is God was saying to him, hey, I'll tell you what, Cain, here, here's the deal. There is a, sin, there is a lamb right there, a sin offering. I'm going to give you an offering. I'm going to give you a lamb, okay? And its desire is for you. It's not going to run. Just go take, rule over it. Go get the lamb. Make the thing right. Do it the right way. And he still says nothing. You ever had people that you gave them a chance? Okay, I'll tell you what. You were late to work. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another opportunity. Okay, listen. Okay, I know you blew that one. I'm going to give you another job. I'm going to give you another opportunity. I'm going to give you another client. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm gonna th- th- whatever. He says nothing. That's one interpretation. Here's the second way that's interpreted. Some see it as he was simply saying to Cain, maybe the problem is you, Cain. Maybe it's not your friends or anybody else or your brother. Maybe sin is at the door of your heart. And sin's trying to control you and rule over you. Maybe it's you, Cain. However you want to interpret the verse, the bottom line is, God was trying to give him another chance. Come on, man, think with me. If you do what's right, if you get it right, if you stop acting this way, then we can get somewhere. Okay, you did this, you did that. You know, I've seen it so many times. Okay, you were unfaithful to me. Okay, listen, uh, you're through with this person. Okay, good. Okay, let's, 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 let's start again. We start again, and now you're still texting. You're still talking. You're still doing. You still talk to me. Help me understand. What is it that you don't get? Silence. You don't like to be questioned. Nobody can ask you anything. You don't want to be accountable because, oh, no, you know, I'm not a child. I, that's not the point. I want you to see he doesn't like to be corrected. That's the problem. Are you like that? Does this ring a bell in your life? Watch this third thing. He has specific purposes, number one. He doesn't like to be corrected, number two. He has unexplainable anger moments. Number four, he goes to extreme measures (laughs) to misapply his anger. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Oh, now you can speak. You can't talk to God. You can't answer any of God's questions. You're just muted, silenced, can't, can't respond. You're too mad. You're too angry. So when you see your brother Abel, you can speak. What's interesting is we don't know what he said to Abel. But listen to the outcome of this conversation. Then Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Okay, now, now I'm really confused. Okay, so you can't answer God, but you talk to your brother, and I don't know what the conversation was like. When I get to heaven, I want to go to the library and look it up. Like, let me hear that conversation. Because in this conversation, you wonder if Abel said to his big brother, hey, man, why are you acting like a jerk? What you think you know how to do an offering? Why are you, why are you doing it that way? You know how, you know, you've had these kind of conversations, right? Come on, why are you talking to mama like that? Why are you doing that? Why, come on, why are, you, why are you doing that? Why are you saying all these, why are you cussing like that? Why? You can't talk without cussing? Why? You know, this conversation you try to have with somebody, this family, and you're trying to say, come on, man, come on, you're my big brother. Behave. What did, and now he rises and kills him and buries him. Amazing. Amazing. Extreme measures. What did Abel do to you? Why are you making somebody else pay for what somebody else did to you? I, I, I understand you have been through some, whatever you think you've been through, but why are you applying it over here? You're mad with the government, so you burned down your neighborhood store. Help me understand that. I'm trying to figure that out. 
I'm trying to understand why you're taking it out on somebody that had nothing to do with it at all. Look at the fifth thing that's interesting to me. He's not honest. Here's a guy who's unchangeable, who, number one, he has his specific preferences. Number two, he doesn't want to be corrected. Number three, he has unexplainable anger. Number four, he's, he goes to extre- extremes. And then number five, he's not always honest when questioned. Then the Lord said to Cain, verse 9, where is your brother Abel? Watch what he says. I do not know. He lies. Doesn't like to be confronted. Rather than tell the truth, he lies. Gosh, that's such a common practice. Not honest. Not up close. If I don't know how to find the truth, you just camouflage it. It's part of your way. It's my bi- you you, you, know, you kind of hide it. It's my business. None of your business. I'm grown. You got to look cold words for it. But the bottom line is you're not honest. You're not really. I love to ask people when they have had, you know, when they, if, they're, if they're marrying the second time, one of my favorite questions is, tell me what happened the first one. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus, man. Was this bad? She was a wicked woman, wicked witch. She was the lady to the wicked witch of the West. I'm telling you, she was just evil. She, she was a woman. She was a witch. I mean, <laughs> they just tell me. I said, okay, but if she were here, if he were here, what would they tell me? What would they say to me if it was in there? Oh, oh, then they go, oh, oh, even in their words. Well, here's what they would say. They would say, I didn't work enough. They'd say, I spent a lot of money. They would say, and then they give me this honest answer that's really not something they want to talk about, but because it's what they think and not what I think, it's okay. And so sometimes, though, if we look at this guy, Cain, we're like that. We just don't want to talk about what's true. So here's this guy now, watch this now, he said this stuff, God's got him cornered and he says, where's your brother? He said, I don't know. He said, then he says this, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you're his big brother, you're his big brother, so you're his, are you, your, what kind of thinking, where are you in your brain, sir? It's incredible, Genesis 4, look at verse 10, he said, what have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now follow me along, eight observations about unchangeable people, people that won't change. Cain is a guy in Genesis 4 who's not going to change. Number one, he has a specific preference. This is how I do things, no matter what everybody says. Number two, I don't like to be corrected. I'd rather not be corrected. Number three, if you try to correct me, I have this anger problem that will blow up, and I, and I can't explain why, but I'm angry. And then number four, I'll go to extreme measures. He kills his brother because his brother talks to him. And number five, then he's not honest. Never will tell the truth. But God said, your brother's blood is crying out to me in verse 9, verse 10 rather, from the ground. So, verse 11, we get to number six in your list. There is a mark put on him. When you do certain things, when you're unchangeable, people will know it eventually. You'll be stamped. And you can, you can, you know, it's funny, you can be a wonderful person, but when they see you, they know, they see anger, violence, when they see you. Falling out of love sometimes, quote, unquote, is really all about knowing people for who they really are. 
I now know you. I know you. And so when they see you, yeah, you look cute, but I don't know. I know you. <laughs> I understand what you have the capacity to do when you're angry. You don't like to be corrected. You don't want anybody. You got your specific way. And so sometimes you fall out of love with that. You fall out of love with that attribute. And you are now fearful and concerned that if I give myself to this person, I'm going to become a victim of this. There's an amazing moment in your life. Somebody said this to me the other day. They said, the reason the guy wouldn't go back because he says, I got out of the fire and I'm not going back in. I got out of the fire. The perception was this is a bad church to be in. If I go there, they're going to always push me and crowd me and beg me to death. There's a sense that, you know, you get stabbed. People believe you. And I tell people this, don't, don't convince people of things you don't want them to believe about you. So now he's marked. and Here's what he says to him in verse 11. He says, this is what God says to him. So now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Verse 12, when you, tell, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. In other words, your career is over. The thing you love to do, grow stuff, is not going to be the same. And then he goes on and says this, a fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. You're going to wander all over the place. You're not going to be stable. You're, not, you're going to be running from people. You're going to be a fugitive. People are going to be chasing you. You're going to feel this. Your life is totally going to change because you have taken this path. Now, that's the marking that would be on him. I'm telling you, number seven is amazing. He struggles with the consequence. Un- <laughs> People who don't change don't like consequences. Listen to this dialogue, verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, oh, now you can speak. Okay, <laughs> you, do, you can talk. Only after punishment, though. Only after you've been banished. Only after the bad things have happened. Now you've got words. You can pray now. Oh, yeah, because you're broken. You're about to be evicted. You call upon Jesus. You can find a church. It's amazing. You couldn't find a church, but let something happen to you. They call all the time. They, they go in the phone book. They go online. They Google churches. They call one after the other. Can you help me? 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 But they never come before then. Ever. Ever. Never, never, never. They only call you. When they have something. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know what's amazing? I don't say this to put anybody down, but it's the truth. You may not know this. Out of ten people who ask the church for help, nine give nothing to the church. Ever. But when they come and ask you, boy, they ask, oh, boy, you know, we need about $800. We need about $1,500. We need about $2,000. We need to pay our rent. We need this. I'm not mocking anybody who's asked us. I'm not doing that. I'm not. Because I don't know who asked us. I don't pay. I'm, that's not my department. But I do know. I've been here for 35 years. I'm telling you. Nine out of ten give zero. They expect you to step in because you're church. They can speak now. They have revelation. They know my job. They know what God says. It's real clear because you're in need. And, but I want you to understand this. It's not until... You listen to Cain, and you hear this unchangeable tone. He now has this incredible statement. He says, he says to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Okay, uh, excuse me. Let's talk about your brother you just killed. We're not, we're not talking about that, are we? No, we talk about my punishment. The only thing he has the courage to talk about is himself. He goes right back to me. Your wife tells you she's struggling with something you said. What do you say? Well, I struggle with what you say. Really? Is that, is that where we start? Your boss tells you you're late and you should be on time. You start with, well, everybody else is late. And they get away 
with it? Is that the point? Is that, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Are we talking about them or you? I want you to understand. Notice that this unchangeable attitude, this incredible rebellious spirit says, I want to talk about me. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. You have taken away my career. You, I no longer can grow things like I used to. Now he's just repeating back to God what God told him. I can't believe you've cursed my ability to grow things. I can't do what I used to do. Now, we're still not talking about your brother. We're still not talking about what you did. Then he says this, I shall be hidden from your face. Now I can't even fellowship with you. Still not talking about your brother. Still not talking about what you did wrong. He goes on, I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond. Now I got to run. People are going to be chasing me. We're still not talking about your brother. It's amazing. You missed everything. He keeps going. And it shall happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Somebody might even kill me. Really? Really? Somebody might kill me. But in the end of the day, number eight is the most amazing thing. People like this, they have a special place of grace in God's heart. God loves people like this. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 15. The Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be on, on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. In other words, he protected him. Now, I'm amazed that God would do this. I'm stunned, but here's what I've learned. We all have been like Cain. We've all done things. We've all been stubborn. We've all rebelled. We've all done this. I don't preach this sermon and somehow shoot at this guy. But here's what I want you to think about. If you're like this guy, I want you to understand the power of being this way. There's a generational result, consequence of being this way. It didn't just stop with Cain. If you go down to chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible said the first thing that happens is Cain leaves the presence of the Lord. He leaves. He moves to Nod. He goes to a whole other place, a whole other city. He leaves. Wow. And when he left, his kids left with him. Verse 17 said, Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch, and then they had more children. And I want you to think with me for a second. In between all of this, there are hundreds of years and thousands of people born and all that's happening. But what I want you to notice is this happens. Cain leaves, his kids leave, and then his, he compromises, his kids compromise. Notice with me in verse 19. The Bible says his son, Lamech, is the first guy to have two wives. One's not enough anymore. It starts with you, but it migrates past you. Then they be, he becomes more violent towards people, Lamech does, than Cain. Cain killed one guy. Listen to Lamech talk about his life. Lamech said, this is in chapter 4, verse 23, he said, to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech. I've killed a man for wounding me, even a younger man for hurting me. Now, here's what I hope. I hope they weren't having an argument. I hope they weren't in some kind of disagreement. He says, hey, let me tell y'all something. I've killed people. Okay, I've killed people. You with me? Yes, sir, husband. <laughs> I mean, this is bad. This is a guy who is out of control and who is un, 
changeable. And what I've learned about people like that is this. The Bible describes them as people who follow the way of Cain. Jude chapter 1 describes it this way. He said, but, and I'm going to skip down to verse 11. I put in bold prints in your notes. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of who? Cain. The way of Cain is an interesting way. It's a lifestyle. They're unchangeable people don't realize it. They followed Cain, Cain's example, and it's called the way of Cain. And he describes it two ways. They've become greedy in the era of Balaam. We'll talk about that in a minute. For profit and perish in the rebellion of Korah. He mentions two guys and two attitudes. One guy is named Balaam. He's greedy. And one guy is named Korah, who's rebellion, rebellious. And he says, when you follow the way of Cain, when you act like Cain, you act like these two guys. Now, you may not know who these two guys are, but you really probably do. Let me show you. One guy, Balaam, is a prophet. He's in Numbers 22. Numbers 22 records the story of the guy who rode the mule, remember? And the mule spoke to him. That's Balaam. Balaam is the guy that was on his way to curse God's people. The king was afraid of Israel, and the king called Balaam, the prophet, and said, hey, could you please come pray against these people, Israel, that are coming here? They're going to take over, pray against them. And Balaam said, I can't. And then they, he bribed him and offered him money, and so he went and did it. And on the way to do it, rather, on the way to do it, rather, he, he, the mule, while riding to do it, the mule hit his leg up against the wall, and, and the mule, and he hit the mule, and the mule looked up at him and said, hey, now listen, now, you know, I've been, I've been faithful to you for a long time. And he said, you have been faithful. That's the truth. You're a good mule. And he's talking to the mule. <laughs> this is a funny story. And it, it's, 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 it's in that moment that you see the power of greed. And he says, people who follow the way of Cain, they're greedy like that. And then he describes a guy named Korah. Korah is mentioned in number 16. Now, this is the guy who is, he's, um, he gets this real attitude with Moses. And one day he just tells Moses off. He says, hey, listen. You're not the only prophet. God doesn't just speak to you. And he tells Moses about himself, tells him off. And then God tells him, so I'll tell you what, tell Korah to go stand over there with his whole family. And then the ground opened up and swallowed all of them. It's an amazing story. And then 17,000 people died. It's a horrible story, but it's all because of Korah's rebellion. Korah led this rebellion. And he says this, people who, are, who follow Cain have two attributes. They're greedy and they're rebellious. And that scares me because I like you and all of us, can easily fall into that trap. You're just always complaining about everything. It's all about getting ahead and getting advantage. It's, 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 you don't really care about people. And if you're not careful, you become unchangeable. And I close with four thoughts. Four thoughts about people who are like this. Number one, they take up all the space in your mind. They occupy... Your thoughts. This is the one who comes over to your house and goes, oh, I hope they're not coming to the dinner. Oh, God. It's like <laughs> They just take up all your brain space. Don't be that person. Don't tie up your wife's mind every day and your husband's mind every day and your kid's mind every day and your family's mind every day. Why must you be the star of the show, star of the brain, always on somebody's mind, always having to be told, stop, don't do that, don't say this. Second thing I've noticed is they never really own their issues. They never say I was wrong. In every conversation, if you're always correcting people and setting people straight, you need to pause. If you're not listening in a conversation to learn, but you're only listening to get your point across, to argue, you need to pause. 
third thing I've noticed is they, they, they take advantage of God's grace. They always push the line. Hey, in this story, God was gracious. But here's a guy pushing the line, always pushing the line. Number four, they just follow their own way, the way of Cain. Unchangeable. But I pray you're not like that. Next week, I'll talk about changeable people. Signs that you're changeable. I'll give you a hint. Genesis chapter 6, Noah. What made him different? How could you be one righteous guy in a world full of unrighteous people? What's it like to be the only guy on the job who's right, righteous, trying to serve God? What's it like to be in the family, the only person? You got to think about this. Noah lost everybody. Cousins, uncles, aunts, nephews, everybody. What's it like when you're the only person? I'll tell you one key. The key is you got to decide to be changeable. I love the story because, number one, it makes me realize I'm not perfect. And I know that God cares for imperfect people. Father, I pray today that what we've talked about has been helpful. Those who are here and those who are home, I pray they are blessed and strengthened. The message that we've heard today is one that I believe brings life and health and wholeness to everyone. Thank you for loving us. Many of us have been like Cain a long time. But you've shown us that you care. You've shown us that you want us well. And so I pray in Jesus' name as we leave the service today that you'd bless our hearts and that we would open our hearts to, to love those who are, who are like this, but also to understand that we can't control what people choose to do. It may be our son. It may be our daughter. It may be someone we love dearly. And we can only do what we can do in the name of Jesus. And everybody say amen.